The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. We greet you here in the nave of Marsh Chapel at 735 Commonwealth Avenue. Whether you are here in person or listening over the airwaves at 90.9 WBUR, uh, 90.9 FM, or listening over internet signals at WBUR.org. We are very grateful this morning to welcome Dr. James Walters, uh, Associate Professor of New Testament at the Boston University School of Theology, preaching this morning and bearing the word to us. We bear you greetings also on behalf of our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, as he is away in the summer months. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, the fountain of all wisdom, 
You know our necessities before we ask and our ignorance in asking. Have compassion on our weakness and mercifully give us those things which for our unworthiness we dare not and for our blindness we cannot ask. Through the worthiness of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let us join our hearts and minds in silent prayer as we meditate on the choir's singing of the traditional Kyrie. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. The reading from Jeremiah. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people, it is you who have scattered the flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. So I will attend to you for your evil doings, says the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live safely in safety, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness.
A lesson from St. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcision by those who were called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 23 with the Antiphon. my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 through 34 and 53 through 56. Glory to you, O Lord. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they, that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Good morning. The series of texts that have been read this morning from the lectionary are in many ways remarkable. My guess is that there are a number of political leaders throughout the world who are not enjoying the lectionary readings from today, given what a sharp judgment they offer on Israel's leaders and ask us to consider as we grapple with leadership in the modern world. It's a remarkable collection of texts. In Mark 6, the text that was just read, Jesus sees a chaotic crowd of people and imagines them to be a sheep like sheep without a shepherd. This taps a very, very long tradition in Israel's scriptures where Israel, time and time again, is scattered, lacking a shepherd. The text I read to you earlier from Jeremiah is the text from which this sermon's title comes, Woe to the Shepherds, the first four words of Jeremiah 23, 1-6. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. These shepherds are the kings of Israel. And Jeremiah delivers this rebuke following the fall of Judah and the exile of God's people to Babylon. Ezekiel presents the same sort of critique in Ezekiel 34, even harsher. You'll recall 
that this is not a new theme in the biblical text beginning with Jeremiah or Ezekiel. As a matter of fact, even a casual reading of 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings should remind you that these lengthy narratives are by and large a judgment on the failure of Israel's monarchy. Over and over again, we're told of a failed reign, followed by a failed reign, followed by a failed reign, followed by a failed reign. The political disaster that was the monarchy in narrative form is judged as a moral and religious failure and hence ultimately a political failure. This story continues. We're in an apocalyptic series this summer and you might recall that this is rather a large theme in apocalyptic literature as well. If I might trace it down briefly, what we have is we have the fall of Judah, the southern kingdom, in 586 to the Babylonians, an exile, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel offer their judgment on the shepherds of Israel. Following that exile, there's a return to the land, a rebuilding of the temple. Ultimately, the land falls under the control of the Ptolemies and the Seleucids following Alexander the Great's campaign in the, in the east. There's a revolt against Seleucid rulers that we know of as the Maccabean Revolt where new shepherds are put in power. The followers of the Maccabees, the Hasmoneans. But things go no better. As a matter of fact, after decades of Hasmonean rule, where Israel is being ruled by its own kings again, it's almost as if it's a relief when the Romans come to town. Oh, and then we have the Romans. And by now, the misery of failed leadership takes on cosmic proportions. It's not, as just, it's not just as if a king looks after the king's own interests rather than the interests of the people. It's not just that the game is rigged among political insiders. Oh, it's worse. In an apocalyptic worldview, the game is rigged in cosmic proportions where the rulers are not simply rulers living out their own excesses and greed, but they are the puppets and the pawns of dark spiritual powers. If you've worked your way through the book of Revelation, the apocalypse of St. John, you've seen this story told in violent and brilliant color as the Roman Empire is held up for judgment and its shepherds are accused. The beast from the sea is the Roman emperor and the power of the Roman emperor comes from the dragon, Satan himself. That's the apocalyptic tale of Revelation 12 and 13. 
It's a dark story. If you've read much political history, it's a dark story. The Revised Common Lectionary encourages us to read Psalm 23 in dialogue with Jeremiah 23. It's an interesting juxtaposition. We just, we just worked our way through Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, we imagine that it is God who is the ruler. God is the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the universal longing of humanity. The universal longing to be led to green pastures, for our cups to overflow, for goodness and mercy to follow us. It's the path that Israel's kings were to lead Israel on. But far too often, it was not the path that had been promised. The experience of failed leadership is an experience of terrific suffering of victimized populations of barrenness. You see, the 23rd Psalm, if it's read in reverse, is the opposite of the yearning of God and God's people. Bashar al-Assad is my shepherd. I shall always want. He makes me lie down in barren pastures. He leads me beside dry riverbeds. He destroys my soul. He leads me in the wrong paths for his own sake. You see, Psalm 23 is not just that little pastoral text we learned to recite when we were children in church. It is a powerful statement about what the right leadership offers and should do for people. And hence, the failed kings of Israel 
and the failed kings of today, whether in the Middle East and Syria in the case of Assad or in this country, results in people being led to barren pastures. One of the most pronounced themes in all of Scripture is the theme we're talking about this morning. And we continue to be haunted by poor leadership. We continue to be haunted by barren pastures rather than green pastures. It's an old story. The apocalyptic tradition is so pessimistic it loses hope that this can be righted, that it can be righted in the space of human history and imagines that God has to right it at the end of human history. God has to make it right in the end. That's the message of the book of Revelation, isn't it? It's not my desire this morning to encourage us to that level of pessimism. But even from this story, to gain some hope, to work for greener pastures, to work for still waters, for goodness and mercy to follow us, as opposed to judgment and wrath. But it's a hard path, and we're foolish not to have our eyes wide open. Over the past 36 hours, I have found myself wondering time and again why I agreed to preach this weekend, especially after the horror of Aurora, Colorado raised its head, a story that I'm sure you know by now, a 24-year-old neuroscience PhD student walks into a midnight showing of the latest of Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy movies with four guns, two Glock 40 millimeters, an AR-15 assault rifle, and a 12-gauge shotgun. He walks into that theater in battle armor from head to foot. His assault rifle has a drum magazine that holds 100 rounds. He bought all of this legally within the last 60 days.
He shot 70 people. The Washington Post reports this morning that apparently the assault rifle jammed. so that all 100 rounds were not able to be dispensed. Now, I understand we have a gun debate in this country. I know something about the gun lobby. I grew up hunting on a farm in Alabama. Whether or not Mr. Holmes should have been able to purchase those four weapons, I'll leave open for a moment. But I want to suggest to you he should not be able to purchase a magazine that holds 100 rounds. It's illegal in the state of Massachusetts, but it's legal in every state but eight. The gun debate in this country is a failed conversation. More should be done to protect the sheep. May it be so.
we enter a time to offer the prayers of this community. Please assume an attitude of prayer, standing, kneeling here at the rail, or sitting, as the choir leads us in Lead Me, Lord. shadow of Aurora, Colorado, Syria, Sudan, the Congo, Haiti, and London, we now offer our prayers. After I speak the intention, I will say in your mercy and invite you to respond, hear our prayer. Acknowledging the beauty and the suffering of this earth that nurtures and sustains us, and carrying our, our own anxieties, anger, and pain alongside our joys, hopes, and celebrations, we come to this time of communal prayer, Holy One, and hold our world to your mercy and care. In your mercy, Hear our prayer. Holy One, we hold before you our sisters and brothers who know hurt and grief today, who hold vigil at bedsides and gravesides, who await diagnoses, who live with chronic pain, who struggle to interpret a chaotic reality who no longer can remember. In your mercy, hear our prayer. We hold before you our sisters and brothers who are in transition, who are losing, seeking, and moving to new jobs. We are who are preparing to enter school who have signed divorce papers and marriage certificates, who are questioning, doubting, and pondering, who are adopting and birthing children, who are living alone for the first time, who are moving to unfamiliar places. In your mercy, hear our prayer.
We hold before you our sisters and brothers who are susceptible to the lure of violence upon themselves and others, who instill fear in those who love them, who bully, who harm with intent and with disregard, who see no other way to be, and our sisters and brothers who turn their pain and anger inward, who contemplate death over this life. In your mercy, hear our prayer. We hold before you our sisters and brothers who daily are building lives devoted to others as they seek to heal, to defend and to advocate, to comfort and protect, to nurture, to educate and to govern, and to compassionately and passionately love within the realm of their influence. In your mercy, hear our prayer. And we hold before you our sisters and brothers with whom we share community now, who will leave this time and place and scatter into the world as bearers of your hope and goodness in the dailiness of our lives. Speaking the words you taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel, and we offer our thanks to Dr. Walters for his bearing the word this morning. We hope you'll take a moment to put your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We do hope you'll keep an eye to the chapel website for all of our services and upcoming activities, as well as the opportunity for online giving.
We invite you to join together in meditating on Perry's anthem, My Soul, There is a Country, as the ushers wait upon us for the offering. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Gracious and holy Trinity, whose compassion and provision are ever sure, we offer back to you these our gifts of money, symbol of our time, our resources, our life energy, and our devotion. Bless and multiply these gifts, we pray, that the giving may become receiving, and the receiving may become giving. In the name of Jesus Christ and in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Dear friends, as in this summer season we consider the theme of apocalyptic, let us remember that life is short, and we do not have too much time to gladden the hearts of those who walk the way with us. So be swift to love, and make haste to be kind. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit abide and remain with you now and always. Amen.